America, my name is Aimeose Frimpong, and I come to you every week live-ish, around four-ish, to talk about politics and how we're going to make our union whole, which includes black people, and especially for black people, because I want to empower black people. People talk about public safety being an artifact from uh, that arises from pulling back cops, I think public safety arises from empowering the poors and the stigmatized communities, and, and that will include also pulling back cops. So I want to take money away from cops, put it towards empowering my folks. Um, but today we're going to talk about cultural interventions because there's actually a plan in Athens about defunding the cops. I'm a fan of defunding the cops. I, we spend about 50% of our budget our tax dollars on police, some form of police, either the the sheriff's office or the, the the city police. So I would like to take claw that money back and put it to more appropriate cultural ventures. But one reason we can't do that is that our white people are confused about the state of play in Athens, and that is unfortunate. And why do you say, I mean, you can't just say that oh, uh, white people are confused about the state of play. Actually, I can't because I'm going to give you a video of white people. This is this is right in the middle of uh, the county commission's public comment section when we're talking about defunding the police or putting together a commission to see if we can cut the police budget over the next 10 years. Just a commission to see if it's possible as a way to promote safety and like end the state of police terrorism. Because remember, in Athens, not even maybe it was a year ago. Says a year, maybe about a year ago. I'm trying to figure out the last time we hit somebody with a car. We just tear gassed some some people um, in defense who were at a protest uh, rally. But about a year ago, one of uh, our cops hit someone who had a warrant out on him because he had like a, a, a joint right so he had a, he had a warrant out for a controlled substance and he ran away and he's very fast because sometimes we're athletic and he was in his mid-20s and the cops was fat so the cop got into his car and just kind of ran him over kind of bumped him a little bit so we have racial justice issues in athens but apparently not if you talk to some white people because here is the public comment meeting uh, this is a public comment from a uh, citizen and taxpayer that shows that maybe we have a public culture problem. Athens is not Minneapolis. Athens is not Baltimore. Athens is not Atlanta. We do not have systemic racism here. Athens is not Minneapolis. You got that? I'm going to play it again because I want you to listen closely. This is a citizen and a taxpayer. Now, mind you, Athens is one-third black-ish uh, it's about one third black and we have a 32 to 38% poverty of that one third who's black. That's the citywide of that one third who's black. We, they're too scared to actually, um, uh, count like what percent of our poverty is black poverty. But if you walk into public housing, you know that the poor is us, the poor is us, but I'm going to let you talk. I'm going to, I'm going to. I want to play that clip one more time because it's short and you might miss the important part. Athens is not Baltimore. Athens is not Atlanta. We do not have systemic racism here. 
Athens is not many. Yeah, it turns out that one, Athens is exceptional. Black people, Athens is not exceptional. We are every black city in the South surrounded by white wealth. There's nothing. Hattiesburg isn't much different than Athens. They'll all have their ticks. I'm sure Gainesville and Florida isn't much different than, than Athens. Uh, Mobile's not much different. There's poor black people surrounded by white people. Some of them are poor. A lot of them aren't. And then in the suburbs, there's actually white money that's like gained from the, uh, the poor blacks like urban center. right? So that's the same with Charlotte. It's the same with St. Louis. Anywhere there's poor black people surrounded by white money. It's Athens. So we are not exceptional. But yet, I've heard this Athens exceptionalist uh, rhetoric used before because every, I suspect in every city, every time they try to do some sort of racial justice, um, Charlottesville's probably the same, every time they try to do some sort of racial justice initiative, I'm sure someone says, well, this is, this is special. We're Charlotte. In Charlotte, we don't have this problem that they have in Minneapolis or Baltimore, but it's, it's all the same problem. It's, it's all the legacy of slavery that we've never made whole. It's America's problem. And America did not play favorites. And with that, I'm going to hit the beat. To the beat, y'all. So people may know that I am a, I'm a philosophy graduate student at the UGA at the University of Georgia, and I do a lot of time studying Hegel. I study Hegel because Hegel's one of the actually deepest thinkers of freedom in the tradition. And look, man, you know, I get a lot of flack because what are you doing studying a white guy so much? Because he's actually very smart. He understands that freedom comes through institutions. I mean, your intentions matter and your choices matter and your mindset matters. But no, you need institutions in order to actually be self-determinant. You need institutions. You can only be, um, you can't really be free if no one recognizes your freedom, right? You can't be free in the United States that, that has legitimized you being like a threat and a terror, <laughs> and, a, uh, and a terror, right? You can't be free. So Hegel actually works this out in a way I think is actually, it's, it's wonderful. And I'm not the only one who studied Hegel. Huey Newton studied Hegel. Fred Hampton studied Hegel. Um, uh, W.B. Du Bois studied Hegel. Uh, C.L.R. James studied Hegel. So I'm in good company when I say that Hegel is very important because he understood the work of institutions in promoting and sustaining freedom. And also, in, if you don't have the right institutions, you're not going to be free. So right now, I am, uh, I'm, I am loading up A good. All right, so I'm loading up a, uh, a a graphic that shows that maybe our friend, our neighbor, our person whom we created might have been wrong about the state of you know structural racism, right? So this 
according to this little chart, these are the people who are sitting in jail or who are sitting in jail as of last year, about this time. Uh, 6, 5, 18 is when this was dated, right? 72% of that population was black and male. Now, black males make up around anywhere from 13 to 15% of Athens, but 72% of the inmates in jail were black men. So either we have a structural racism problem or black men are just awful people. I think we have a structural racism problem and they're targets. And they're disposable and what you do with disposable people is either you execute them or you put them in jail because they're disposable, they don't have real rights. So how can you live in a town like that? It takes a whole village to to create that, to create, to create this woman. I'm going to put her again. Minneapolis. Athens a- is not Baltimore. Athens is not Atlanta. We do not have systemic racism here. Athens is not Minneapolis. So it takes a whole village to make her. You got to, like, if you really want to get at racial justice, you got to look at where she's going to, where she went to school, what she studied in school, how well she did in school. Uh, where she lives, where her kids go to school, what church she attends to, her job. Because at, in every one of those institutions, you're going to see structural racism that she's been taught to ignore or happily, gleefully participate in and profit off of. In every one of those institutions. It's not an accident. There's a great book on the Athens clan called uh, Beyond the Mask of Chivalry that the clan's feeding ground, the, the, its greatest um, recruiting ground was the white church in Athens, Georgia, right? So you have to understand that our institutions are broken. And one reason I study Hegel is he studies institutions and he has a great section in his philosophy of right where he says, you know, when Napoleon tried to install a constitution onto Spain, like a rational constitution with laws and stuff, it didn't really work didn't really work they didn't they didn't have the plea they didn't have the pre-political institutions to support a constitution or a lawful constitution so it doesn't matter um it doesn't really matter what you do from the top down politically if you haven't rectified the cultural non-political institutions that would support like lawful self-determining politics right so for example it doesn't matter if you can vote, if you don't have any control of the media, right? If you don't have any control of the media, the media is what mediates. It tells you what, that gives you the information that from which you make your decisions, right? So if you don't have control of the media, some sort of, yeah, some sort of fair say in the media, then your the information out of which you make your decisions is going to be distorted. And in a liberal democracy, you might not know this, there's a great book by uh, Jason Stanley called How Propaganda Works. In a liberal democracy, you sustain injustice or authoritarian regimes or quasi-fascist regimes like the United States has by what you leave out. So the stuff we don't tell white people about white terrorism and the stuff we don't tell black people about white terrorism is enough to, I, don't, I think, lead a revolution. But the stuff we leave out is why we have such a distorted politics, right? So because we haven't actually rectified our cultural institutions with the truth, we can't have the quality of democracy you need. There should be no reason why an adult functioning 
citizen of Athens should be able to spew such ignorance out of her own mind. And I think she's genuine. And I think she's earnest. I think she was taught to be that stupid. It takes an entire village once again to be to to cultivate that quality of ignorance. You have to be a constant gardener. It's like you need watering and you need manure. Like a lot of water and manure went into that woman's mind to produce the quality of, of insight you saw in that eight second clip. And so confidently too. And I don't think she's alone. So like it doesn't even matter if you just deal with her. No, she is basic Athens. Basic Athens of a certain class. Like that's just where they they're at. That's just where they're at. And that's how that's and and we need to take seriously the business of the autopsy of kind of dismantling where they're at, right? So and what sustains it and why it's being sustained. Because that quality of ignorance is, is hard to come by. It took, took like an industry and many institutions working together to be able to ignore structural racism in Athens. Like it, it's a, it took a village and it succeeded in the body of that person. So what else, right? So it's not just, well, we'll talk about the church, but let's talk about the family, for example, right? So when I say I think you have to kind of dismantle white families and put them back together in a, in a way that actually allows them to be able to secure black freedom, right? So you have to just, we have to go at all of these institutions. And if you leave these non-political institutions intact, then anything you do from the top down is going to end up anti-black. At best, you'll get FDR's New Deal, which ended up being anti-black, right? So we had to dismantle the, the white family. Well, what, what do you mean dismantle the white family? If you don't know, spousal rape is an enormous deal in white, in white family. The number of white people in the suburbs and in, you know, upper urban areas, upper white urban areas who uh, like just rape each other is just, it's astounding. It's astounding. The number of women who are going to wake up tomorrow morning in the suburbs with their husband just inside of them humping away is just not something that uh, is just not something that's right because, you know, we create jerks. It takes jerks to sustain white supremacy. And you know how jerks screw? They screw like jerks. I had a less G-rated segment on this uh, yesterday, but I want this to kind of be a family. Well, you know, PG-13 um episode so you can watch this with your with your sons and, and and find out where not just spousal rapists come from but just like where how white supremacy is sustained so what happens is we need a society full of jerks in order to sustain white supremacy those jerks need to reproduce each other those jerks have sex and you know how they have sex they have sex like jerks have sex right so um we've just normalized spousal rape in the white church they call it duty sex there's a whole book called the secrets of eve where it takes like a uh, a 2,000 person survey of women who are just like, you know, rationalizing how their husbands are humping away at them and how that's just part of marriage. Uh, so, but if you fix that sex, if white guys actually had to think about their wives as people during sex, then they might have to think about, that might open the door that I have to think about everybody as a person. I have to think about my employees as a person. I have to think about these black people I've been trained to, to, to torture as, as people. So in order to sustain the racial hierarchy, we've normalized and allowed this sexual assault. 
And, you know, liberals aren't trying to get rid of this sex because they're like, well, I guess if the wife consents to it, of course if the wife consents to it. She's going to trade the occasional rape by her husband for, like, all of the perks of white supremacy. There are a lot of perks. So there's that. Your husband uses you to masturbate with every week or so, and you get, like, the nice house and the... Uh, you know, the, the nice school and the, the status and everything of being with them. You could pretend that that's not normalized. And I'm not saying all white people have this kind of sex. I'm saying enough of them have it and enough of them are related to other people who have it that it keeps the whole, you know, white supremacy game going because it sustains a critical number you only need, you don't need every white person to be a jerk but you need a critical number to be complete sociopaths and so it sustains that critical number right so that's where we are in that in that situation we've normalized just not thinking about people as whole people right we've normalized kind of the the inequality, not inequalities, inadequacy of our educational system by what we leave out. And I think it's made even white people nervous. White people are nervous. And, and that's why they're anxious and depressed because they're scared if black people actually become empowered, we might like be like you to you. But we won't because we're kind of an evolved people. But, but that's what's at stake, right? So we've left so much out of white education that they're just confused about life in a way that's made them depressed. And so you go into a medicine cabinet and you'll find out the truth of that, uh, that, <laughs> that, that, that anxiety. How do you carve meaning out of your life if everyone's lying to you about you and you expect everyone lying to you about you because you're scared of the truth of you, right? So it's hard to carve meaning out of a life like that. So we can't have the truth come in because then white people feel a certain way. And then we can't have a lie come in because that'll just confuse them and distort their notion of reality. So what we have is just, well, the lie, because at least that distorted notion of reality comes with pretty high property values. And in terms of even the family, I'm not one of those guys who says that every Disney, every Disney like princess cartoon that doesn't end with like a working class peasant uprising and revolution of the monarchy is teaching our kids to ignore the self-determination of the poors and the stigmatized. But it might be the case that every Disney monarchy movie that doesn't end with a working class revolution and <laughs> turning the, the monarchy into a constitutional democracy is teaching, yeah, those teaching our children to ignore the plight of the working class and their self-determination and the poors in lieu of uh, a better monarchy, right? So we're teaching people how to be better monarchs as opposed to enabling those people that they monarchs step over. That might be a problem, right? So there are these cultural interventions we need. There are these cultural interventions you need. Someone said that in a well-ordered world, I didn't see Frozen 2, but in a well-ordered world, Elsa would be like in The Hague because she threatened uh, or like was casual about like bringing like a neo-genocide. Uh, because she didn't want her powers or wouldn't wear gloves. I don't know. But I didn't see the movie. I'm just saying I have seen. I didn't see Frozen 1 either. I, I'm not a fan of the movies because they don't end in constitutional governance. 
Right, so we have a cultural infrastructure that supports black degradation. It's a cultural infrastructure that says black degradation is legitimized because of something they did. Because it's not like that woman in the clip doesn't know that black degradation is like rampant in, in Athens. It's just that she's been taught that it's okay to presume that it's something that they did to themselves. And so uh, we put such a ridiculous burden on black success for black success, it's tied to kissing white butt. You can't make it. For every black successful person, you'll find someone who's, you know, told white people what they want to hear when they want to hear it because they're white. Right? You will not find too many white successful people who have felt called to tell black people what they want to hear because they are black. No, white successful people pay other people to do that. Uh, you know, there's a, one of my colleagues, Amir Jama, wrote a paper about why you can't talk to white people about anti-racist work and why it's too much of a tax. And I did, and I just, it was a great paper. And I, I, I saw the abstract and I thought about how, you know what? It would be funny if like some really wealthy black person just decided, I'm done talking to white people. I pay people to talk to white people for me. That's what money's for. <laughs> I don't want to talk to white people. It's too stressful. I just pay people to talk to white people for me, and th that's done. I, th I think that's a funny notion for what uh, one like what some black people would do with, if they had a lot of money, because talking to white people is a job, especially in their fragility. Right, so you need to actually intervene on the cultures, not just the uh, family, but also the church. The church. I mean, there's a Jesus, there's a, so many, there's so many artifacts that show how the church was just a, a haven for white supremacy because it teaches white people that um, they deserve everything they got. And it teaches black people, the black church teaches black people that they're not going to get anything here. They'll get what they get in, in, in the great beyond. So that's the church in America. And so we need an actual liberation theology normalized in Athens and everywhere, a liberation theology. And, I, you know, the, book, the best book on this, I think, is James Cone, The Cross and the Lynching Tree. Read that book for chapter two if for no other reason. Chapter two is so good about, it's so good about the church complicity in racial injustice. And the book is called The Cross and the Lynching Tree by James Cone. All right, so we need the intervention. Right? We don't have to jettison Christianity. We don't have to just throw it away. It's actually, I think, has a lot to say about, you know, what freedom means and what it means that all things are possible. But we have to get rid of white Christianity because that's trash. And if you don't know what white Christianity is, that means your Christianity is trash. Right, so what we have to do, plead political institutions. We have to uh, fix the family. We have to fix our education system. We have to fix... Uh, our relationship, like our worship, like all of the things that maybe a constitutional law won't touch. But if you have screwed up theology that justifies your ill-gotten gains, you're not going to see the need for reparations. Like if you have screwed up theology that tells you that, I don't know, everyone being nice to each other means that we're not racist anymore. You have screwed up theology. Everyone being nice to each other is just one, black people being scared of ticking off white people because white people are erratic and they have guns, and our, our bosses, and petty. 
right? So, you know, I got in a little hot water because I made some white people last, uh, last year, I made some white people upset and they went after my job and went after my position. They went after my career. I mean, I'm very good at what I do, so they didn't get it, but they went after it because I made them feel some sort of way. And these are just, you know, random ass white people. So, um, everyone could be nice, but nice for different reasons, right? So black people are nice to white people because we're terrified and we don't, we're not self-determining in these United States. We're not self-determining. We depend on, I don't know, you not calling the cops on us because you feel some sort of way. I don't, which is why if you care about me giving you the quality of political education that I do every Friday, please go over to www.thefunkyacademic.com. Depending on who you talk to, I'm making myself down white unemployable by speaking my kind of truth. But I do think the quality of political education I deliver on my channel is uh, necessary for us to be made whole. And it'll free everybody. Like, freedom's good for everybody. You, you won't have to, you know, go to the suburbs or pay your private school tuition for the schools, which is tacitly anti-black, in order to, to get rid of the racial justice problem. We'll just, everyone will be free because black people will be made whole and white people will be made less scared of justice. Because black people aren't scared of justice, they're scared of white people. White people are scared of justice. And that's got to do something to the quality of your minds. I'm just saying... I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. Now, uh, so the cultural interventions you need. Uh, so we need to fight this at the school board. We need to start taking over school boards. Black people. Not every black person needs to start taking over school boards. Black people who've watched this video need to start taking over the school boards. And you need to watch this video at your next Zoom Sunday school meeting or whatever. Watch this video instead. Just watch this video instead and, and ask what Jesus would do with the situation. You know, maybe at the next book club, maybe you just watch this video instead. Not all of you read the books for your next book club. So just watch this video instead and talk about, like, what's at stake. And what does it mean to say that I don't want to put her in jail? I don't want her fired from her job when I say her. Athens, I mean her. Athens is not Baltimore. Athens is not Atlanta. We do not have systemic racism here. Athens is not Minneapolis. I think she is normal. I'll say that again. I think she is normal. We need to do the autopsy, the cultural institutional autopsy, and rectify her institutions, bring them closer to justice. And that's how we become, that's how, that deep work is how we, uh, we actually make the city whole. We don't make her whole by firing her from her job. We don't make her for being ignorant because she didn't say anything. She's just ignorant, right? We, we, make, we make the city whole by figuring out the institutions, the interlocking frameworks that produces someone so ignorant and dangerous because I want to be able to share power with white people. I believe in democracy. But, you know, the quality of white people we have I was too immature, politically immature to actually like trust sharing power with. So I want them to be able to vote. I think that's very important. But I need to, we need to take their cultural institutions into receivership and kind of redesign their families, their churches, and their schools such that they are the quality of people that we can share power with without them abusing power out of their pettiness. Because as it stands right now, sharing power with white people is like letting my five-year-old decide our dinner menu for the next you know three months. 
it'll be like cookies, right? So like, or peanut butter, and with my five-year-old, it'll be peanut butter, raisins, and cheese three times uh, a, uh, a day, right? So we need to take the cultural institutions into receivership, kind of rectify them, get rid of all of the ticks that make them kind of indisposed towards uh, racial justice for black people. And then, you know, it'll help them be free and them being free helps us being free and we'll all be free together. And it'll be just a great, great world. All right, I hope this has been helpful. I hope you share this around and tell all your friends and watch this with your people. And uh, I will see you next week. <laughs> and I want to be a free Negro. So um, if you like what I do, go to funkyacademic.com and contribute. Thanks often comes in the form of cash. And the site takes 